If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 5. When you find Ephesians 5, go to the Gospel of John as well. And just kind of keep your place there. And we will be in the Gospel of John in just a few moments as well. We started chapter 5 just a a couple weeks ago. And and we were given the command right there in chapter 5, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. I'm not going to re-preach all that. As beloved children, walk in love as Christ has loved you. So, so in a sense, what he is doing there, he's, he is in, in encapsulating what we have studied in chapters 1 through 4. The, the grace of God that has been manifested and given to us through Jesus Christ. Right there. Walk in love. Because this is how Jesus has loved you. So graciously, so lovingly, so sacrificially. This is how we have been loved. And now, since this is how we've been loved by grace as beloved children, we are to imitate God by that grace and through that grace. So we are grace-driven, right? That's motivating our obedience and our walk in holiness is grace. Is grace. Last week, uh, Brother Kenny showed us from uh, verses 3 through 6 specifically how we are to imitate God and how we imitate Christ in, in all things. And, and I remember one in particular is that, is that it's through the standard of the Scripture. Through the standard of the Scripture and who we are in Christ, which is the theme, once again, of Ephesians. So today we are going to be turning to Verses 7, we're going to start verse 7 and we're going to read through verse 14. Starting in verse 7. Read with me now. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all good, all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to God, pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes Visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, and as we unpack your text this morning and look to your word, may you shine upon us this morning. Would you expose and make things visible according to the light of your Son? Would you reveal this morning yourself to us in a way, Lord, that we will be able to discern what is darkness? That we may live in the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Our passage this morning once again starts off with, therefore, verse 7. 
And the therefore is, is talking about what we've talked about up to the last therefore. Therefore, because of those deceivers and because of the lovers of self that we've talked about last week in the previous passages, he tells us not to be co-workers with them, not to be partners with them, not to be owners, not to put an investment in false things, things that are not imitating of God. But the life of a believer, when he shows us here, therefore do not be partners with them, is because the life of a believer, the transformation that has been taking place such is in the gospel, that there's a real transformation, that we look categorically different than the world. Maybe not in appearance, or stature, or financially, or anything like that, but we look categorically different because of grace, the way that we live our lives. And the right question to be asked is how? And that's what our passage reveals to us this morning. The Bible is, is full of metaphors. I don't know if you all remember our metaphor discussion on Wednesday nights when we were reading church, uh, church membership. And we talked about quite a bit of those in particular, what, how church membership is described. And what a metaphor does is it uses a, a word to describe a, a, a greater truth or a greater reality. And here's an example, a good one that the Bible uses, and we use this one on Wednesday nights, is, is that the church is the body of Christ. Now, literally, we are not the physical body of Christ, are we? We are not his hands and his feet, but figuratively, metaphorically, we are the body of Christ and he is our head. Right? It would be foolish for us otherwise to think. And for, for, for the wrong context, I think read this literally. I think maybe some children sometimes can read the Bible and they would think what is to be or interpreted as metaphorically or symbolically, uh, and they read it literally and they don't understand that. And the Bible uses metaphors all over the place. And these metaphors are given to us as a help, as a help to, to illustrate such great, great important realities. And the metaphor that is being used today is darkness and light. Do you see that? Darkness and light. So the Bible is speaking here in a metaphor, one that we can understand. We, we know darkness and light. Just yesterday, I, I got up early to go hunting. It was hunting season. Got up Early enough, the sun was not up yet, went outside, walked to the stand, and if the sun wasn't up, guess what? It was out night. It was what? Outside. It was dark, right? And it was. It was pretty dark, especially when you got into the woods. It got really dark, right? You couldn't see the stars anymore. You couldn't see really the, the moon. It was really dark. So the meaning of, 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 of darkness is the absence of, of light until I turned on my flashlight. Right? And when I turned on my flashlight, then really all I could see was just a little bit of my peripheral and then where the beam was, was going. Right? That's, all I could, that's all I could see. And, and without, uh, without that flashlight, without light bulbs, without electricity, or even those batteries, if we live the way that our ancestors lived before, can you think about how different our lives would be? You think about if we had like candles in here? and lanterns in here to, to keep to make light. Now we have light that's like, that's like 3,000 lumens right there. It's amazing. It's amazing. And then as I was sitting in that stand, the sun began to, to rise, 
saw it maybe around 7 o'clock, kind of peeked through the bottom of the trees. And as it continued to rise, I began able to see further and further and further into the woods. And why was that? Because the light was dispelling the darkness. The light was dispelling the darkness. The birds came out. The squirrels came out. The air began to warm up. And I can see further. And so we know this experience, right? We know this experience of, of, of darkness and light in creation itself. But metaphorically, in our, in, our, in our text today, it goes beyond just night and day, but it illustrates this vivid cosmic reality that is all around us. That there is righteousness versus evil in this world. Light and darkness. So darkness, once again, is the, the absence of all light. No moon, no stars, no flashlights, no, no light bulbs, just complete, utter darkness. And this darkness that exists in our world today is because of sin, because of the fall of man. Genesis chapter 3. Because of, because of sin has entered the world, there is darkness. There is spiritual darkness that has descended upon all mankind and even creation itself. I mean, just, just thinking about that, like as the sun came up, you know, creation is groaning out for Christ and groaning out for the, for the restoration of all things and, and just thinking about even the, the morning and meeting the, the evening and how the birds come alive. They're crying out, thankful for the morning. And that all of those who are outside of the saving grace of Jesus Christ lives in this darkness. And, and this darkness is, is, is so dark and so deceptive, and even so appealing, that those who are in said darkness can, can't even perceive that they're in darkness. Can't see that they're in darkness. Can't comprehend that they're in darkness. They may think that their eyes have adjusted like sometimes ours do, but they're not. This darkness also represents the evil, corrupt systems in this world. There are corrupt systems that are suppressing the truth in the hearts of minds of, of many. It's what explains evil behind such things as racism and slavery and genocide, sex trafficking, and all forms of injustice and abortion in our world. And that's just to name a few. Darkness. Darkness is what binds many to false religion. Even false religion that resembles Christianity. That's darkness. And we'll reel the line in just a little bit, or just a little bit more. This darkness, once again, is what we unpacked in Ephesians 2. That we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were in darkness. In Ephesians 4, we talked about how the person who's not putting off the old self, that is, living according to the corrupt, deceived, deceitful desires, in verse 22, is in darkness. The one who, has a, uh, who holds on to falsehood is in darkness. The one who gives into anger and feeds anger is in darkness. The one who steals and does not work hard is in darkness. The one who, does, who grieves the Holy Spirit with sinful, corrupting talk is in darkness. And just as we talked about last week, darkness is in the lifestyle of sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, foolishness, filthy, crude talk, and all of which exists 
and darkness. This darkness, Jesus illustrates for us in John chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip over to John chapter 3. He illustrates this in John chapter 3, this eternal death and darkness in verses 19 through 21. Starting in verse 19, he says, And this is judgment. The light has come into the world. And listen, listen to what it says. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Now he's speaking of himself, right? He's the light. Right? John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Speaking of himself. And, and, and even though the, the light himself was standing in front of people, they loved the darkness. It may seem like a, a harsh comparison, but it's like how we look at someone who's addicted to meth or, or crack or heroin. And we just, we can't comprehend. But that's the spiritual condition. They are addicted to darkness. Addicted to darkness. Look what Jesus says. He's saying this to Nicodemus, a teacher of the law, a Pharisee. He says, for everyone who does wicked, I skipped the part, and people love the darkness rather than the light because of their evil works. They love it. They love the evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, but does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true, comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So darkness does not want the light. Darkness loves darkness. The Gospel of John uses these same metaphors as we just read. Like I said earlier, John 8, 12, Jesus says that I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this is essentially what we see happening with what Paul is teaching here to us in Ephesians 5, that our Savior, Jesus Christ, He is the, the light, and in Him there is no darkness, no sin, no impurity. Turn to John chapter 1 now. I told you we're going to be in John for just a little bit. Turn to John chapter 1. Chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. We're talking about Jesus. Him, Jesus. All things were made through Him. And without Him was nothing, was nothing. Anything that was made was made of nothing. Verse 4, in him was life, and the light, and the life was the light of men. Like, there it is, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. So, so adversely as we see where the, the darkness hates the, the light, we see in this passage here that as the light shines in the darkness, the darkness can't overcome the light. Just as when the sun came up in the woods, the woods was not fighting back and wanting darkness because the light penetrates the darkness. It destroys darkness and all things is dark. 
Again, verse 8. He says, he was, not, he was not the light, talking about John, John the Baptist, but he came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He became his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will, or the flesh, or the will of man, but God. Without this light, without this light to transform and to overcome the darkness, we too would still be in darkness. But if we are in Christ, our new identity, it is wrapped up in this light. It is wrapped up in the light of the world. So according to verse 8, look at verse 8, back in Ephesians 5, it says, we are the light. It says, now we are the light. You know, it's so easy to look into this, into this world and believe as individuals that we're just small. We're insignificant in comparison to the darkness. And we can't do much to impact the, the darkness. And, you know, Christians throughout history, with, although with the right intentions, have, have created programs and organizations to, to reach the world, to go into the darkness, to do good. And they have done good, and there's many that are good. In turn, the church has looked at those organizations has, and has deferred the light that Christ has given to them to these organizations and to these programs. We've deferred to them to reach the darkness. I'll, I'll, I'll pay you, I'll fund you, I'll support you, I'll pray for you to go into the darkness. But, but we are the light. We are the light. What seems to be insignificant, even in this small group, we are the light. We, we are the light that is to go into the, the darkness that exists around us in our own community, in our own cities, in our schools, even in our own families where darkness exists, and we are to expel the light. We are the light. We are plan A. And so we step into these evil systems of the darkness of this world, and we act as the light. We are the light. But we have not made ourselves into the light, right? We haven't made ourselves into the light. No, rather we were the darkness. He made us the light. The light of the world has made us light. The darkness is, isn't just the surroundings like me in the woods, right? The darkness was just kind of all uh, around me, but rather I was the darkness. Rather I was the darkness. This was the hopeless condition that we once were, once again, right? How how the gospel sweetly reminds us again and again that you were of the darkness, but that is not your reality anymore. You are the light. You are the light. And we have been made new. We have been transformed. We have been regenerated in this new creation. Right, Going back to the John chapter 3 passage where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He talks about the light and the darkness there. But before that, he told him, you must be born again. Why? It's not just made into something better, a better version of you, a better ethical, moral version of you. No, you need to be reborn, Nicodemus. Yeah, I know you're not like the harlot. I, I know you're not like a Gentile. But bro, you're just as dark. 
And without the light of the life of men, you will remain in darkness. Church, we are the light. He has given us that light and now has made us light. So just as we were the darkness, we are now the light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? That's not even in my notes, right? But we know that song. It's true. That's who we are. But maybe that's not your reality this morning. Maybe you are in darkness. And same thing with Nicodemus. No matter how good you think you are, no matter, no matter how good you may do and how good you may be, it only proves my point that all the more that darkness blinds, darkness enslaves, darkness suppresses the truth, and you make it believe yourself that just because I'm good, I'm light. But what we have and what we need, those who are in Christ, say, by grace I have been saved through faith. Not I, but Christ. I am only the light because of what He has done. And so if that is you this morning, I pray that this morning, no matter what your experience has been in church before, and if the light of the life of man is shining before you right now, respond to the gospel. Believe, repent in your sins. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Believe in Him as the Son of God. But if we, the church, those who are in Christ, if we are now the light, then we are not to be partners with the darkness as we saw in verse 7, or to share in possession of the darkness, that darkness has to end. We're no longer partners with that darkness. We are light. There's two ways that we shine this light. Two ways that we shine this light. Number one is we walk in the light. You see that in verse 8 as well, that we, we walk in the light. We walk in the light. And this is a daily thing. I love what we makes it so simple. Just as we walk every day and we take steps every single day is how we are meant to walk in the light. And if we are not walking in the light, then where are we walking? If we're not walking in the light, where are we walking? If we are not walking in the light and we're just sitting, then where are we? We're drifting into darkness. We're drifting into darkness. Nobody drifts into the light. We drift into darkness. And this is, this is when we need to cling into our new identity, the promises of Christ, and we pursue Him. We walk in the light. And how we walk in the light is by every choice that we make. Are we going to choose to walk in the light or not? Let me give you an example about the importance of our choices. I was teaching a Sunday school class a couple years ago to our college students, and we were going through the Gospel Project, and we were going through a section of the Ten Commandments. And when we got to the Fourth Commandment, um, the Fourth Commandment, you shall keep the, the Sabbath holy, right? Keep the, the Sabbath holy. We, we taught the ta- text and the passage, and I began to apply it to them. And, and I applied it to them in a very specific way to, to college students. I told them, I said that if you were waiting all week, and I apologize, college students, if this hits home again today, that if you were waiting all week and even the weekend to do your homework on Sunday, then you are breaking this commandment. You're, 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 you're breaking this commandment. If you're waiting all week, you're breaking this commandment. Choices during the week, bad choices during this week, is as Jesus said, or as Jesus talked about how you know, sometimes the ox falls into the ditch, and I get that, right? I mean, sometimes the ox falls in the ditch, and you just got to work on Sunday. 
I get it. But when you're, not, when you're procrastinating, you're making bad choices throughout the week, and everything is left to Sunday, that's like taking your ox and pushing it in yourself. When the opportunity has been throughout the week. So to justify to not gather with the church or, or even rest on Sunday, which is our command duty to rest on Sunday, God-given to rest on Sunday, is sinful. It's, it's sinful. So every choice that we make throughout the week is, is, is a choice that matters. It's a choice of walking in, in the light. Now, that's very specific, but, but every choice matters. Everything matters. Everything hinges on the other. Gradually, each day, every decision we make, we are going to have to choose, are we going to walk in the light? Are we going to imitate God? Are we going to remember that we are beloved children? Walk in love as Christ loved us. And this is why Jesus said this is a narrow path. This is narrow. The church has made it wide. And that's wrong. It's leading many to destruction. This path of obedience is, is narrow. Of walking in the light is, is, is narrow. I can't tell you how many steps, but they're countless. They're every single day. And every step matters. Every choice matters. Choose to walk in the light. Walk in holiness. And this seems so difficult. seems so hard because there's just so many distractions. There's so many things that want to sway our attention. Take away from walking in the light. I am one of the most distracted people I know. I like how I worded that. I am. When, when I sit down and study, let me tell you literally what I have to do. When I sit down and study, I have to... Uh, I turn my phone off. I, I, I turn uh, uh, my iPad off. I close the door in my office. I lock it. I put on noise-canceling headphones. Right? I put on noise-canceling headphones. I turn on this app on my computer called Self-Control. And you like that, right? Great name. Self-Control. And what it does is when you turn it on for a set amount of time, it kills the Internet completely. And there's nothing you can do for that amount of time. Nothing you can do. Why? Because there's so many distractions. And just like in life that, that seeks to knock us off that course of walking and, and the life, sometimes we need those kind of uh, things to turn us into self-control. To shut those things down, to shut down those, those distractions, to shut down media, to shut down television. In the darkness that is all around us, it seems so natural. It's like the moth to a flame. Another metaphor. Or is that a simile? Simile. Simile. As I said, like. Yeah. That's the, that's the key. Like moth to a flame. With every choice. With every choice that we, we make. The world. Darkness. The subtlety of the world. Is at war against our flesh. And against our spirit. And it's working to dull you. It's working to, to dull you over time that, that we don't even realize that we've been walking in darkness. That we've been giving into darkness. It's so, it's so divisive or, or, or deceptive. And so we cannot be passive in our walk. We must walk, not sit. So many Christians have just waved the white flag to disengage and given in to the 
to the, the, the media on their phones and the media on their televisions and these computers and, and, and those things that occupy their time and their, and, their, and their money and their efforts and not walking in light. To walk is to engage. To walk is to be active. And to those who are walking in the light now are those who are in the light. That's how we know someone's in the light. By watching them. And as verse 9 says, they produce fruit. Good fruit. We talked about good fruit. We talked about good fruit. Fruit that's, that's good. Fruit that's healthy. Fruit that's, that's right. Fruit that's true. Fruit that's satisfying. Fruit that produces joy. Fruit that's shareable. That you can give to others and they can enjoy that fruit. When you walk in the light, other people see the light. They'll walk with you. Walk in the light. He says to, verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Walking in the light, try to discern. See, at this point, you kind of want to stop and you want to say, well, let's take inventory. How do we walk in the light? Well, let's read our Bible more. Let's do this. Let's do that. We can, we're good at coming up with lists, and some of those lists are good and helpful, but that's not what he does here. He says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Discernment is to those who are mature. And to those who are maturing in Christ are gaining discernment. Meaning we can look at what's good fruit and what's bad fruit, and we want the good fruit. Even as subtle as it may be, we can discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And I love that. I love that we, get, we don't get a list, but we get a grow up in maturity and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So, so I'm, I'm not going to give you like a list, but I'm going to give you one help to help you discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Let me offer you this very simple phrase. It's Latin. It's, it's caram deo. I pronounce that right? Caram deo. Everybody say it with me. Caram deo. Not everybody said it because Kelly's still writing. Caram deo. That is Latin. And some of you already know what that means. Latin, and it means before the face of God. Walk in the light, trying to discern what is pleasing to God, because we keep in our mindset that we are living life before the face of God. He's light. He doesn't sweep things under the carpet. He doesn't turn around and ignore, like I kind of want to do when I go downstairs or I go in my kids' room and I see a mess, I'm just like, I'm just going to pretend it's not there because I don't want to deal with it. He doesn't do that. Carondeo. Before the face of God. Everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think, public or private, is all lived out before the face of God. Nothing is hidden. Hidden. That's awesomely terrifying. There's nothing that you do, there's nothing you have thought in privacy that has not been lived out before the face of God. Awesomely terrifying. And it brings about fear. And it should. It should. Because, because as we see in Proverbs, that fear, fear of the Lord, is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So we test everything by the truth of Karamdeo. Should I do this, or should I say this, or should I be a part of this before the face of God? Would that, would that please Him? Does that help? Now, for some, it might be like, well, that's, 
That's kind of making God really scary. Well, he is really scary. His holiness is really scary. But I also want to come from the other end of this. Karam Deo, before the face of the Lord, is also where we find grace. It's where we find grace. It's where we find rest. It's where we find grace and it's where we find rest. So the first thing we must do as those who have been made into the light is that we walk in the light, trying to discern what pleases the Lord. And the second thing is that we seek to expose darkness. We seek to expose darkness. We expose the darkness as, as the light. If my flashlight is on and I'm in the darkness, it's exposing the darkness. In all the darkness that we mentioned earlier, we are agents of the light to expose. So we must first, we must first expose the darkness, I believe, first in ourselves. We must first expose the darkness in ourselves. We must seek to expose the, the sin that is in our hearts. The sins that are deep. The sins that we, we call the, the, the most private of sins. And, and that's exactly what he's talking about. right? The ones that are done in secret. The shameful ones. And I actually think he's kind of pointing back to verse 3 and the sexual immorality. The things we don't want anybody to know about. He says expose these deeds of darkness. To drag those into the light. The things that we are scared the most that if anybody knew about, we expose those. Seeking to expose the sin and the darkness. We, and I'm going to talk a little bit more why in just a minute. Expose the darkness in ourselves. The second is that we expose the darkness in others. And particularly where we expose this darkness is we expose the darkness in, in our, our church family. That when we see a, a brother or sister who is, who is in danger, danger and living in sin or a sinful habit in another life, we expose it. We go to them as we say in our covenant, as Jesus tells us to do, and as, uh, as uh, uh, Paul tells us to do in 1 Corinthians. This is what we do. This is how we love one another. And when we see a brother that's going into darkness, we go to them and we expose the darkness to them. We don't go to others and we tell them about their darkness. We go to them and we expose the darkness so that they may be brought back to the light. So they may remember the light. You know, some people, they get, kind of, kind of, they get caught in a, a whirlpool of most effect. They, they know what they're doing is darkness. They know what they're doing is, is, is sin, but they just need someone to reach out and pull them out. If somebody would just pull me out, and that's as a church, that's what we, we do for one another as members of the body of Christ as we expose the darkness in others. And the world, the world, church culture tells us that's unloving. And what Jesus tells us, that's the most loving thing you can do. Letting someone live in danger of going to hell is not loving. Telling them to cut their, our, their hand off and pluck their eye out is loving because that's what the Savior tells us to do. You warn them and you plead with them and you pray for them and you weep for them until they repent. No matter how long it takes. Expose the darkness in others. Third, we expose the darkness in this world 
the evil systems of this world. We push against the darkness. We push against the darkness because we are the light. Right, one, I'm just one candle, but all of us, we're much brighter, right? I mean, I'm not the, kind of the hokey example and stuff, right? but that, that's it. Look, look, look what we can do in exposing the darkness in this world. Brother and sister, educate yourself on the darkness of this world. Do not hide from it. Do not hide from it. Educate yourself on the darkness of this world. Don't just, hear my warning, don't just go the Fox News route. Educate yourself, meaning is not just one way. Look at it on all angles. Read different points of view. Gain discernment. Learn. Educate yourself on the darkness of this world so that you may expose the darkness according to the Word of God to be the light into the world. Very practical way, educate yourself. Very practical way, volunteer at Choices of the Heart. How about that? Volunteer. They need people. They need people to walk with young ladies who are very confused and very broken. Very broken. They need people who are light to be there. Not to condemn them, not to convict them, not to tell them how much of a sinner they are and how they should be thrown in jail and all those things and they should get off food stamps. No, love them in the light of Christ. Because Jesus loves them. And we're called to go into the darkness. To go into the darkness. And He hasn't left us empty-handed to do so. Another practical way, sponsor a child with Compassion International. How about that? Got an extra 36 bucks a month? Sponsor a child with Compassion International. Get to know that child across the world. Write them letters. That's, that's just the basic things that I just kind of came up with. Expose the darkness in this world. Brothers and sisters, educate yourself. Expose the darkness. And what we see in our latter passages, those are the two things, the way that we shine, the light that we have now been made into Christ, but we have been given, I think, this great promise is that as we shine this darkness into the world, not only in ourselves as we expose darkness, but also in those who are seen, who see the light, that in ourselves we will experience shameless freedom. Shameless freedom. When the bad fruit is thrown out, when we live in the light, when we expose the darkness, we'll experience real freedom. Real freedom. Look at verse 12. Look with me to verse 12. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. We were talking about that just a minute ago. I talked about how that's the, the sexual immorality, the things that shouldn't even be named among us, but, but they're here. And they're there. I mean, they're, they're here. And this is where the Bible cuts really, really deep. This is where the Bible cuts really deep because sin, shame, and guilt are all the things that we hide. Or, or it's, it's like trying to put the fig leaves back on. Even though the head of the snake is being crushed. Or being crushed. We expose them. The Bible's exposing us. The Bible is making us bare. And I'm hoping that by, by grace we've seen in this, in this, this through Ephesians is that we don't have to live in shame anymore. That's like a church cultural thing. 
If we cannot come here and be real with one another or real with one another at maybe over coffee or at so each other's homes, if we can't be real and genuine with one another and, and, and then those moments, then when can we? Who can we? It can be, there's no more shame, no more guilt. But just as verse 13 says, it says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. It becomes seen. It becomes, becomes known. And what scares us about the idea of being known? Right? We already talked about Karamdeo. God knows. That scares us to, to be known. And when it comes down to it, what really it is, it's a, it's a fear of, of, of man. It's a fear of man. It's a fear of man more than we are afraid or have a fear of God. We're afraid what people are going to think of, so we cover up. We put on a happy face, and we just, we just press on. That's not freedom. That's not, the, that's not the freedom that Christ came and set to set us free from. That's not, that's not freedom. But here's freedom. Look at verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper. Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake! Come, come awake! Those who are sleeping in the dark, arise! Come from the dead and come to life. Come to the light. Come to the light of Christ, and He will shine on you. Brothers and sisters, what we see here is to be known is a real promise and a real promise that gives real freedom. So to expose the sin and dragging into the light, the sin that does not want to come to the light, is where we will find real life. This is where we will find abundant life. This is where we will find real joy. And the church that understands this understands grace. Understands grace understands the, the sovereign grace of God because, because if you expose these and drag them into the light, then you're not going to receive condemnation or scorn or, or gossip or distrust or anger and wrath, but grace and forgiveness and correction and discipline. That's for our good. And ultimately, love. We read this morning, love. And this, how, this is how the gospel teaches us to love one another. So because we are the light, we walk in the light together, exposing the darkness, dragging into the light. It says over and over, dragging into the light our sin. And doing that this, this morning does not mean, hear me on this, does not mean you stand up and, and you confess to everyone your deepest, darkest secret or sin. That's not what I'm saying here. There are certain times where I believe that will be absolutely necessary for the fruit of repentance. But that's not what I'm saying this morning. But what it absolutely does mean is that we need to confess our sin to someone. Yes, to the Lord, but to someone. To expose it. Bring it into the light. Bring it into the light. Someone who's mature, a, brother, a mature brother or a mature sister. 
to not live in the shadows, to not live in shame or fear or, or guilt any longer, to not make a habit of hiding anything, but to be known, to make visible what was hidden. Because where we struggle is where we will be crushed. Where we will be crushed. James chapter 5, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. The light! The light heals! This is the prayer of a righteous person that has great power and it's working so that we can pray for one another. You know, sin will always be exposed at some time or another. If not now, in some time. And all we are doing when we keep things in the darkness is we are allowing the accuser to blackmail us and to keep you in shame and to keep you in guilt. And at the right time, there are times, at the right time, sometimes he will bring it out. He'll expose it. But if you've already dragged it into the light, what have you done? You jumped the shark, man. You got it. No worries. Someone can say, well, I've I seen you do this. But, ah, you're right. Haven't I? I told you about it. Yeah, confess it. We're good. Thank you for bringing it up to me. We drag it into the light. To be 99% known is still to be unknown. So I get it. I, I get it. This makes you vulnerable. I get that. Makes me uncomfortable. Makes us vulnerable, but... But isn't this what Christ came to do? To crush the the power of sin and death? Not for us to just be hidden, but to come out and to be free? And so if Christ does not condemn you, then neither do I. Then neither can any of us. And this is the power of the gospel, beloved. This is how we apply the gospel in us. This is how we apply the gospel in church. This is how we love one another. This is how we we start to do life together. It's more than just enjoying good food together. Absolutely, enjoy good food together. Enjoy good friendships together and fellowships, go on trips. Do all that. But this is how we do real life together. This is how we will mature together. This is how we will build one another up. This is how we will be known and how we love one another. Not to hide sin, not excusing it, but dealing with it. Drag it into the light, but to deal with it as Christ is the light and has made us the light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good word this morning. Thank you for the good news that you have made us, those who are in Christ, the light Thank you for the light of the world, your Son, who who you sent into the world to dispel the darkness and dispel the darkness in us. Would you mercifully expose the sin in, in our hearts even now? And would you give us the courage and the strength to drag those sins into the light so that we may experience gospel freedom We can trust in your word and that we can be known as much as possible. Teach us what it means to love one another, forgive one another, pray for one another as we confess our sins to one another. Help us to live in the light 
live in the light that before the face of you are God, to discern, O oh God, what pleases you, and that all things that we will do for your glory and for our joy as the lights in this world. Amen.